for sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. And I'm exactly four lesser teeth, Jay. Oh, yeah, Jay. So so I think last time, I think we talked about this on the podcast, that you were going to have um, you were gonna have all four of your wisdom teeth removed. So how'd that go? Um, well, uh, there, there were a couple of worries going in. One, that I was going to wake up in a completely different timeline. Uh, mm. And I would have been forced to alter the events of the of history as it as it exists, uh, but also you know complications and whatnot. Um, it was uh, it was an experience. I I wore my uh, Jonesy Mondo T shirt. Jonesy, for those in the know, is uh, Ripley's cat from the Alien series. And ah, uh, oh. just I, th- just, I thought just you were wore- talking about the uh, Hunt for October Jonesy. <laughs> oh right, that. You know what? I'm gonna to have to make that now. It's just, it's it, yeah. it's just gonna be Courtney, Courtney Vance's face on on Jones's yeah. body. That's uh, <laughs> that's gonna be great. Um, but yeah, it was uh, really really uh, relaxed. Um, they 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 put the IV in and they said, "All right, it should happen any moment now." So for all you kids out there wondering if they give you a countdown, they don't. Every movie is a lie. <laughs> so they're like, "Yep, you should be feeling." It. I'm like, "Okay," and then they put. A uh, uh, like this, like rubber mouth guard opener thing to keep my mouth open while I work on it. And then the next thing I remember is waking up and uh, my I was in such a stupor, I couldn't type on my phone. So I had to <laughs> use the markup option on my iPhone and basically draw out anything. And apparently I just kept <laughs> asking how long I was in there. Apparently mm-hmm. the procedure only took 20 minutes. It was mm-hmm. very quick, very clean. No complications, according to uh, the professionals involved. Uh, there is video evidence, however, of me voguing, uh, <laughs> which uh, is just the really of all the things I wanted to do when I was completely out of my mind on on anesthesia. I like to think that that's that's pretty good. You know, it's not it's not too crazy, but it's not too boring either. And and um, we are now three weeks removed from it. Um, the uh, whole getting food stuck in giant holes in my mouth thing is annoying, but otherwise, it's okay. I've started to be able to learn to smile again, which, as we know, Pete, laughter is the healing medicine for the times we live in. So that's, but that's enough about me. That, but that's enough about me and my teeth. I, I appreciate everybody for the well wishings, and I'm sure at some point I'll show all of you for sure fans exactly the uh the the joy that is the video footage that my wife took of my uh, post-op shenanigans and um it's uh, it's, it's a sight to behold peter has seen it last yeah. i checked and um it's uh it's it's award worthy stuff but like i said we're not we're not here to talk about the ex- the, the the giant excavation that took place in my mouth we're here to talk about a, a certain league that is in the process of starting a, a new season which by the way, Pete, well, I know it's not in our rundown, but we could mm. mention it off the top here. The players did not open the CBA. The owners did not open the CBA. So we are we are lockout proof for two more years. <laughs> All right. So uh. can 
the can is successfully kicked down the road. <laughs> yes, yes. The response, the, the buck has officially been passed to, yes. to the future versions of everyone involved. It is now yeah. their problem. We can now indulge in the in the today problems of the today people. Speaking so, of uh, speaking of today problems, the yep. NHL has announced rule changes for the 2019-2020 season. And the subhead on NHL.com says expanded video review, enhanced player safety among items unanimously approved. And I think it's incredible that they don't have player safety in quotation marks. <laughs> because yeah. we know how much the league cares about player safety. Yes, yes, that's that's completely true. There is there's something about um the willful ignorance about it, yeah. right? It's just like, yeah, yeah, there's gonna there's gonna be yeah. just some some better things that will change and then we'll go on from there. Yeah. So basically the easiest way to think about this is ask yourself this question. Did something happen last hockey season that people got really pissed off about? Guess what? There, there's a rule change to fix that retroactively. Um, so yeah. <laughs> the coach's challenge has been expanded in addition to the previous things that coaches could challenge for, which was offsides interference in the goalie. Now the coaches are able to challenge goal calls that basically something happened in the offensive zone that should have stopped it. Like say, for example, a hand pass, just hypothetically speaking, um, or the puck hit the spectator netting, right? Pucks that were hit with a high stick to a teammate, etc. Right. So um, now the things that will not be subject to a coach's challenge are things like penalty calls, right? So if the, if the official makes a discretionary stoppage, um, so I'm guessing that will also include the official blowing the whistle before the puck crosses the goal line, which is something fun that we get to revisit every, you know, a couple times a season, at least for each team, I think. Um, and also they have changed the penalties. So now the team does not have to have a timeout to use a coach's challenge. However, the, um, the consequences will get worse each time they are wrong or each time they challenge and fail. Uh, so the first one would be minor uh, penalty. Uh, and then the second time will be a double minor penalty um, for each additional coach's challenge. So to be fair, it doesn't really, when they say escalating, it's kind of not really escalating. Um, right. You know, yeah, you would yeah, think it would that's... be like major penalty. Uh, the coach has to wear a silly hat. Um, right. Actually, that was that the would thought be that fun. I was in. Yeah. Yeah, that was the thought I was actually having because when we when cuz when Peter and I were briefly reading this to each other before we started recording, the whole like the consequences will be made consistent. It says and so it says escalating consequences in in quotes. Consequences in quotes. So I yeah. thought by escalating I was like, you know, it'd be really great so after the first one, minor penalty, right? Second one, I'll get the double minor, but I think for the third unsuccessful challenge you should be forced to play in an outdoor game against the Chicago Blackhawks. I think that <laughs> I think that should be the next. <laughs> I think that'd be a good one. I think the, maybe the, maybe the fourth one is uh, you'll you'll be forced to uh, say something nice about the commissioner. I think that's yeah. I think that's a pretty escalating tactic. But you're right. Yeah, we should probably come up with some other, you know, substitute challenges or consequences that would be better situated for yeah. the for it's the like league as a the, whole because. Like, like the, the coach has to sing the Star Spangled Banner at the next at yeah. the next home game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or, or O Canada, of course. The, yeah. 
Right, yeah. He has to sing the the hockey song by Stompin' Tom Connors verbatim. Like he can't <laughs> he can't miss a word. He can't do anything other than recite the song completely as it were. And oh. uh, otherwise, um, it's now the one thing I did see further down here. So there's, you know, the referee's review of major match penalty calls and double minor high sticking penalties. Um, there are these other approved rule changes. And I like this one uh, awarded goal. If the goalpost is deliberately displaced by a goalkeeper during the course of a breakaway goal, a goal will be awarded to the non-offending team. Peter, I was not aware that was not already common sense, (laughs) common sense, a thing. And and I feel like some of these things in here, some of these like little last addendums here, it's like, you know, kind of attaching like a like a bogus amendment to a bill that's like gotten the unanimous approval. Oh, we're just going to tack on that. Oh, by the way, every time you cross the street, that's not it's no longer jaywalking. It's uh, bill walking. You know, it's like, (laughs) oh, okay. well, that doesn't. okay. Yeah. So so that was kind of interesting. Well, because they already have the rule that, you know, like, let's say if there's a breakaway and the defender throws their stick at the puck, you know, that's already a, basically yeah. uh, uh, or if there's an empty net, like, you know, and, and somebody takes yeah. a penalty to prevent it, like the, the referee can just award a goal. Um, yeah, it's just given a goal. Yeah. Um, a couple other things. Uh, line changes for defensive team. The defensive team will not be permitted a line change when a goalie freezes the puck on any shot from outside the center red line. So it's going to take a while for teams to adapt to that, I think. Um, oh, uh, yeah. So, so if sorry. I'm if I'm reading this correctly, so that means if any, so like if somebody is on the other side of the red line and they like dump it in, yeah. Like, and if the goalie freezes it from there, yeah. Then the defense, then they can't change. Right. So it would basically be line. like the icing, okay. the icing penalty. Pretty oh, okay. Much. They they can't do a line right. change. Um, right. Yeah. You can't change. Okay. Well, now that's, that's okay. Now, now, because uh, we talked before about the expanded video review, so referees are going to aren't going to be required. Uh, not you know, it says required, so it's like it's almost like shell, right? They they will be required to conduct an on ice video review for all major, uh, in, you know, non fighting because that's pretty obvious for all major and match penalties they assess on the ice for the purpose of a confirming the penalty or reducing the penalty to a two minute minor penalty. Right. So again, this is coming out of last year's playoffs where uh, that's the sharks, the sharks Vegas one, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Where there yep. was a, there was a, a player was ejected. Um, and when you watch the video, you can see that like, you can see why the referee made the call, you know, from one angle, it yeah. looks really bad. Um, but if they had had the opportunity to review it, then, you know, and to be honest, I, I do think, I mean, I get the reason for that because, a major like a major penalty or a match penalty is a can be a game or season turning event you know like that could be especially you know let's you know game 7 i mean that's your season um and you want it like you know the the main idea when you're calling a penalty is to get it right and now the only the only thing that i don't like about this is that they don't have the option to take the penalty away like i do I, I guess logically I get why that's in there, but I do think that that should be an option. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, this is one of those random things where I was just kind of surprised that there wasn't a measure in place, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, especially with like the, you know, whole, uh, what uh, it, 
with the amount of reviews that it, like think of how much the NBA reviews stuff to make sure stuff is either a flagrant one or a flagrant two, right? Like, like if they're going to assess that, you have to have the evidence in place to do it. You don't just get to willy nilly call it and then, yep, yep, that's where the chips lie. Da, da, da. So yeah. it's 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 pretty nice to actually have this spelled out. Uh, the other the side thing, and I'm actually kind of interested in why they chose to put this under the oh this is just other things we've done but it's actually kind of a really big change Pete, because again we're talking about another part of the game that we've all grown up watching and uh, thought it was pretty cool because it kind of threw it back to now a now forever bygone era uh they're basically the nhl is basically adopting the uh iihf uh, helmet rules which is if your helmet comes off you have to leave the ice so you know just like uh with your, you know, if you play the puck with a broken stick, it's basically, yeah, uh, if you lose your lid or you have a broken stick, uh, if you make a play on the puck, uh, you're going to get a penalty and stuff. So gone are the days of somebody losing their lid, and then all of a sudden you're transported back to 1988 or 1985 when we get to see Craig McTavish, you know, get to skate on those Oilers teams without a freaking helmet. And you're like, oh, man, that's great. And, uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of a big one that, so we'll, we'll, I, I'm, I am, I'm trying to remember the last time there was a consequential play where, oh, he scored without his helmet, you know, gone, you know, cause I feel like there was at least a couple times in the last couple of years uh, on the Red Wings where, you know, I think, I don't know if somebody without a, I feel like someone without a helmet scored and, and it was just like a, it was just like a great moment for Mickey Redmond. He was like, oh, those are the days oh, that takes me back, you know? So kind of stinks that he won't be able to get that stuff but yeah i mean i think the best goal ever is pavel datsuk's no gloved goal hmm. from years ago i think I'm, I'm sure again that doesn't happen as often but you know that's 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 my favorite someone's missing a piece of equipment and still gets the job done situation so there's that yeah i think it's going to be interesting i i think again there's going to be some growing pains with that that being called because there is some yep. there is some wiggle room because it says that if a player is making a play on the puck or is in a position to make immediate play on the puck at the time the helmet comes off, shall be given a reasonable opportunity to complete the play before either exiting the ice or retrieving and replacing its helmet. A reasonable opportunity. That is pretty broad. <laughs> like I can see yeah, a lot of problems with that. Um and then also a yeah. player who intentionally removes a player's opponent's helmet during play shall be assessed a minor penalty for roughing. Again, intentionally is going to be doing a lot of work in that sentence. So I think yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting <laughs> to see what ends there. up coming out of that. But I guess we'll see, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So before we get to our interview, we have a uh, most likely a relatively quick uh, discussion about something. <laughs> but every time... Every time there is some type of logo or New Jersey announced, you know that if you're tuning into for sure that Jay is going to have thoughts on it. So, Jay, why don't you tell us what the latest news is? Yes, uh, Jay's Jersey thoughts, yes. name pending, um, is uh, uh, today's edition is the upcoming Winter Classic in which the Dallas Stars yesterday revealed their Winter Classic logo. So uh, in a neat little video, they kind of did a, a retrospective uh, Ken Burns look back at a bunch of the hockey teams that have played in the state of Texas, uh, in, you know, obviously including the Stars, but prior to the Stars, uh, including the Texans. And uh, it's uh, I actually think it's kind of a decent logo. I mean, 
Nothing's going to beat the North Stars logo. I still really like the old Stars logo where the A is part of the star. You know, this is that's just the Mighty Duck fan in me talking. But uh, for those of you who do best with imagining things in their head instead of actually just going to look it up on the Internet, uh, it's just a, 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 a giant Texas-sized uh, letter D, and uh, Stars is basically cutting right through the middle of it, and the A is replaced with just a star. So... Uh, you could probably look it up on the, the stars Twitter page and their, and their website, and you'll see a description that match uh, a picture that matches exactly what I've just described. So I think it looks pretty sharp, but since we are in the season of, of revealing things, this now makes me salivate for what the, uh, opponents in the, uh, winter classic is going to be because it's the Nashville predators, you know, a team that didn't exist before the nineties. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see, uh, what type of spin they put on it. You know, I've, I've seen in different sports where, you know, they kind of just have to make do with what they have when they're talking about doing throwbacks for teams when those teams didn't exist in the era they're throwing back to. Uh, the most recent one I th- I think was my favorite was between the Detroit Tigers and the Tampa Bay Rays because there was a turn back the clock night where the Tigers wore their uh, mid-80s uh, uh, pullover jerseys, which I wish would make a comeback. But the Tampa Bay Rays did not exist in the 80s. So uh, they basically just kind of did a, hey, let's just do whatever we want to do thing. So it kind of had like a funkadelic, deep purple, light gray scheme with like an, they they put an orange in like the Rays logo or like the the, the B of the Tampa Bay. So it, it, it was pretty interesting. So um, I consider me uh, uh, very intrigued on uh, what the Nashville Predators are going to wear opposite them. I can't imagine they'll do anything drastic because um, they obviously still want to have their recognizable thing. But I personally wish they would do something drastic. I remember a Predators logo years ago where it was like bones, like saber tooth cat yeah. bones. And I was like, that looks pretty cool. I, I think if they were able to put a, you know, maybe a, a, a more streamlined, classier spin on that, I think that'd be that'd be pretty cool. But that's that's pretty much the gist of this edition of Jay talks about Jersey stuff <laughs> yeah. again name pending. yeah I mean so um, it'll be interesting to see what they what they come out with I know they've they always rebrand the winter classic logo to to mimic where they're having it and it's just a giant belt buckle and I just think that's annoying that's just me just giant Texas belt buckles it's just oh my god how do you sit just you uh, you just don't you just don't sit in the state of Texas when you wear these belts that are rivaling what's handed out at WWE and, and, and other things. So, Oh boy, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I was thinking for the predators, they could, if they wanted to do a throwback and, you know, kind of talk about their history, they could have a logo that features all of the banners that they've raised. Um, they could do, they could do that. Um, and also if you, um, now, now you'll have to look at the logo to get this. Um, but, if we are using abbreviations, you could say that this new Dallas Stars logo also says Saint Star Doctors. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, Why do I find- you kind of have to look okay. at it. Okay, that is I am. La- I'm laughing a little too much at that. So congratulations. <laughs> congratulations, Pete. <laughs> The, the Saint Star Doctors. <laughs> Pretty sure I saw them open for the White Stripes some a number of years yeah. ago. So that that that'll be nice for them to make. It yeah, absolutely. So after this commercial break, uh, we will be back with our interview with Sean Tierney.
So our guest today is uh, Sean Tierney. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Charting Hockey. Uh, so a lot of people probably know him if you follow, uh, you know, hockey Twitter um, because of his uh, Tableau visualizations of a lot of hockey data. But he's also uh, the director of analytics for the Hamilton Bulldogs in the OHL and a contributor to TSN Analytics. Uh, Sean, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I'm not sure if Jay wants to share how he's doing. No, no, I no, I'm doing great. There's no reason why we need to make this episode completely uh, non evergreen, right? <laughs> we want to make sure that people can listen to these episodes without any of the events happening outside of them tearing down the discourse. Uh, All I'm going to say is, once again, Peter, we have a phenomenal streak going. It's a streak that no one in hockey is talking about, no one in sports is talking about, really, and it's the fact that every single guest we've had on the show has had a phenomenal Twitter handle. No, uh, none of this whole a early AOL aim instant messenger friendster handle BS with the lowercase x, uppercase x, 6969 charting hockey, 69xx. <laughs> you know, this is just straight up, just straight up charting hockey. Just, it's, it, it, I, I hope this record, I hope this streak goes farther than Joe DiMaggio's, which I think we're coming up on here. I think we actually already passed it. I think DiMaggio was like 53. So I think yeah. we've already passed DiMaggio's hit record. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. So, um, that's, that, I mean, that's, that's my intro. I, 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 Pete, I'm sure you have something serious to add here. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah, so so we just wanted to get started with uh, you know some basic general stuff, especially for uh, listeners we have who uh, you know who, who haven't seen your stuff yet. Um, so obviously, like I said, you know you've you've done a lot in hockey. Uh, people, you know, pe- you know a lot of people in hockey know who you are. Um, so how have you gotten from uh, you know somebody who likes the sport to the position that you are in today? Right. So I guess um, the condensed version of my story, uh, I always sort of trace this back to my own father who owned a hockey card shop. He still does. Hmm. And so, you know, it was kind of unpaid forced labor for years and years <laughs> of my life looking at the back of hockey cards, which is where you've got the stats and that's where you have to go if you're going to organize sets and all that sort of thing. So hmm. for me, you know, I've always been a, a fan and we always went to see games and all that sort of thing, but I've always had sort of that interest in the stats kind of, you know, I sort of trace it back to him for getting me started in that way. Um, when I sort of, you know, started to make, um, try to look for a way to get involved in hockey Twitter, um, I had started a blog for a Toronto Maple Leafs website um, sort of back in the day years ago. And what I really wanted to do was instead of, you know, just only having my words to stand on, have some stats and have something kind of unique to offer uh, in the pieces. And right around that time, Extra Skater was around before um, – he was hired to go work for the Leafs, and so Extra Skater, the website, was still there. Uh, it had great data, and that stuff was just kind of busting onto the scene at that moment. And then I always sort of, the Tableau thing and, and making sort of my own charts and going that way, I always uh, shout out Dom Gallimini, who made the original hero charts, and then uh, Manny, who everybody knows from Corsica.hockey. Um, those two, uh, so Dom was using Tableau at the time, and Manny shouted out the program as, something that seemed user-friendly and a good place for people to go to learn something that was kind of uh, visually pleasing. And so I, I followed their advice, and um, that's kind of like the origin story, I guess, of, you know, really committing. Um, I don't think when Manny was shouting out Tableau, he thought somebody would go and be maybe 3,000 biz in the way I am at this point. <laughs> but uh, for me, it was kind of just the stats were the thing that appealed to me, and uh, 
Tableau is just, it's a really, um, it's a user-friendly program for getting started with. It's not heavy on the coding if you're not comfortable with that kind of background. And it's a great way to make uh, sort of uh, the charts that are interactive but are also just kind of easy on the eyes too, which can be nice for bridging that gap between people who maybe don't love the stats or don't know a lot about it but are interested. And, and then these graphs can kind of be that bridge in. Yeah, so... Um... I, you know, I definitely have, uh, you know, a lot of questions that I, I kind of wrote down to start, but I do have to come back uh, to what you said about in the beginning about hockey cards, because a very substantial portion of my childhood was dedicated to hockey cards, uh, because my father is the one who got me into hockey, um, and... So we would, you know, basically we, sh we shared a love for hockey, uh, you know, uh, my father, my brothers and me. But then we also um, at the time, you know, this is a time where uh, let's see, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to think this is probably going to be like late 80s, early 90s um, where, you know, hockey cards were just starting off. Like I think Upper, upper Deck's big first set was like what? Early 90, 90, 91? Yeah, it would be uh, 90, 91, 91, 92, right around there, yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, uh, you know, we, we would go to the store and we would get the cards, and, and it's like we had these dreams of, oh, we're going to get the card and we're going to save it and it's going to, like, sell it for a lot of money, and it kind of didn't happen. Uh, just a spoiler for anybody listening who doesn't really know how <laughs> what happened. Um, but, I mean, I remember, like, one of my favorite memories is uh, – it was the year that there was the Eric Lindros rookie card in the score uh, boxes. And yep. it was basically like if you could pull one of those, you could trade it in for at least one other like full box. And I was like, oh, this is like a pyramid scheme. It's like I can keep going. And now I think they're <laughs> worth like $2 maybe. Yeah, well, and so you know, just you're describing my exact era coming in through the the hockey cards too, and it was kind of a pivot. And without getting too far away from the the point of the podcast too, but there was kind of a pivot in that hockey card industry moment where, um, you know, there had been that great sort of run through the '80s. We had Mario Lemieux and Patrick Waugh and Wayne Gretzky and all these players in their rookie cards, and those were all worth a lot of money. And people kind of woke up to it in the early '90s and thought, you know, if I put away some of these cards. This is my, you know, future child's university education. <laughs> yeah. for. And, and, you know, a bunch of companies realized that was the case and capitalized on it, produced far too many of every single card, the pro set, the score, all that. It was easy to find. You can still find it today if you go dig in any basement or attic in any house, basically, and kind of just flooded the market and it kind of destroyed it. But, um, you know, since then it, it's come back around and, you know, my, my father continues to open a, or run a store and, and make some money doing so. So it's kind of found that balance between uh, – a bit of scarcity and not flooding the market the way they did in the early nineties. Yeah, I think I think one of the problems is that um, a lot of people transitioned away from uh, putting stuff in their bicycle spokes uh, and instead put them <laughs> under layers of lucite. And I think that uh, I, I, I think that was that was part of the problem as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely part of the problem too. Yeah. So for those of you tuning in, we have decided to not talk about charting hockey and pivoted directly towards hockey cards. <laughs> I, I do not, I do not hate this decision. I do not, I, I do not hate this decision at all. I'm very excited. <laughs> Sorry, it, it it is what it is. My, the only the only hockey card interjection I wanted to either ask if we were actually going to ask a question about hockey cards, uh, I was going to ask you, Sean, about you know what was. What was the uh, what was the holy grail in the shop? What was the one item that was always there 
that was like, you know, hey, is some, like, is this, is it priced too high or is it just like obscure enough that nobody's really going to really know what it is? Um, okay. So that, I think I, it's a great question. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So uh, for me, if we're talking kind of my heyday, so you're going back to kind of eight-year-old Sean Tierney when I'm, <laughs> you know, right bought into this whole uh, this whole culture, um, the Wayne Gretzky rookie card was still the one that you wanted to have and the value was just starting to really build. And if you had one that was, you know, really nicely centered and the corners were still sharp, it hadn't spent any time in that bike spoke that that we mentioned yeah. if you had one of those it might be worth seven eight nine hundred dollars back at, at the time which you know for a, a hockey card any explaining it to anybody who has never spent any time in that world it sounds you know really ridiculous but uh, i remember <laughs> one year my my father for christmas put a wayne gretzky rookie card not a mint condition one but he put one under the tree for me oh. i opened it up and i was just ecstatic you know to have this oh my of my very own and and i noticed a couple days later i couldn't find it in my room and my next visit to the shop i realized it had found its way back onto the, <laughs> the shelves there so anyway <laughs> i shouldn't out him too much but that that card got sold again too but it was really nice on that morning <laughs> oh my god that okay god. that that might be one of the best <laughs> stories that we've ever had on the podcast that's amazing <laughs> oh my god I there's a little it. heartbreak in it too but oh, i mean i mean okay. as, as in all the best stories you know exactly it, it exactly. basically has everything it's it's, it's a journey um <laughs> but um okay so yeah oh sorry jj you want to go no no the, the only thing i was going to interject because you guys got to talk about your little card holy girls sure. i was going to say my the, the the only the long time ago uh, there was a big moving of items from the attic in other areas and my dad showed me all of his his baseball cards and hockey cards so he's got like these really nice old school Gordie Howe ones and and um my dad's huge Montreal Canadiens fan so the amount of old cards of of Canadians that my dad has is is like the most shocking thing because here I am I'm being raised by this guy from Detroit he's all this Red Wing stuff and you know I was born in Chicago so I have you know some some Blackhawks things in there as well and 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 then one day he just shows me this like, you know, like Trinity Library of Montreal Canadian memorabilia. I'm like, who are you? But I I think the coolest thing he had was uh, he he was able to go to a trade show and he had a uh, a Jean Beliveau signed puck that we were able to. He was like, I, I want to be able to get this to a, 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 a an extended cousin of ours. Uh, who's also a big Belleville fan, and I was actually able to go to this one shop, and uh, I was like, yeah, I'm looking for a Jean Belleville card, and thank goodness the the shopkeep was like one of their new kids, because he was like, oh yeah, I, I guess I'll look for it, so like he let me look through it, found this real nice mint condition Jean Belleville card, and then I was checking out, I saw the look on the old guys who runs the shop's face, because I was already given a price for the card. It was only like five bucks or something. But because of how pristine it was, they were like, we were probably going to try and sell this for like 25 or 30. So, right, right, right. you know, the, the, the joys of, 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 of meeting the, the kid who's there for probably, you know, bike, uh, uh, like bus fare working at this card shop. He, he's just like, yeah, yeah, just take the card. Yeah, five bucks. And uh, instead he doesn't run it by the guy who was like going to try and squeeze at least like, you know, ten or twenty more dollars on yeah. it. So, well, and you're basically shop, describing, uh, uh, yeah, and we'll get it. And you're you're describing my entire employment history, where <laughs> I realized if if I undersell all these cards and wreck the profit, I don't have to work here anymore. So <laughs> we kind of looped this story all the way back around. 
<laughs> there we go. Yeah. So, Perfect. so I mean, trust me. Like I could. <laughs> I could definitely like just abandon our plan and talk about hockey cards for like the next hour and a half. But um, I know I know that would be a disservice to our viewers and our our listeners. We want to we want to give them everything. We want to give them all the world and more. Yeah. So basically, you know, we we, we can continue this conversation offline at a future date. But um, so, you know. Like I was saying before, like like one of the things that um, I mean, obviously, you know, for myself, the first way I got to know who you were was through your Tableau visualizations. Um, so obviously, I know you don't want to give away all your your secrets, etc. But you know, if, if there's somebody's li- somebody listening who's thinking, um, you know, I want to like. I'm not going to say like like maybe do what you do, but like maybe there's somebody who wants to start off as like a writer and. You know, they want to include stat visualizations in their articles. You know, what are some of the most important things that you've learned over the the years of doing this? Um, you, you know, like kind of like, you know, your basic general principles that help you to produce these visualizations that everybody really likes. Yeah, so that, I think that's um, that's really key to making sure that the, the things you produce um, matter and, you know, kind of can cross time in a way that they sort of hold their value. So um, I think anybody who's looking for the same kind of angle that I was when I got started, I really recommend Tableau. And anytime somebody reaches out to me with a question, I try to be available to at least, you know, help or, or point in the right direction because people were, they treated me that same way when I was getting started with the program. And, um, you know, there's a, an initial learning curve when you're trying to figure out where do I drag and drop these different things to make it work. And the data prep work is important is important and, and take some time. But, um, you know, I, I really recommend Tableau as a place to get started because there's kind of an ease of use that allows you to explore and kind of find your own, your own branding to it, your own feel to it, you know. Um, but I guess if I was thinking along the lines of what are some key principles, for me, um, Tableau's real, the, the difference maker with Tableau is that it's meant to be interactive. And so, um, when you're designing a viz, you're kind of de- making the decision between am I explaining something to somebody or am I providing something that someone can explore themselves? And I think often for me with Tableau, the answer is something that people can explore more. And so, you know, you're trying to add those filters on the side where people can choose their own team or click on a logo, see their own players highlight. Um, anyone who's used my, my stuff on Tableau, if you hover over the different images, there's always extra detail added in that uh, appears only with a hover. And I think one of the, the best principles you can follow with this is provide a user experience, let people um, find their own way through. And, and the best interactions I get with people or uh, through Twitter are people tweeting out images where they've gone through my viz and found their own team and downloaded a view and now they want to talk about it and use it as that conversation starting point. So. Um, I think if you're going to go Tableau, you want to think of it as a place where you provide a lot of raw materials for people and then let people interact with it in their own way. Um, A second principle maybe that I would say is also important is never try to say too much. Um, And so when I'm making something, I try to limit myself to one idea on that chart, then have the room to dig down to the player level or the team level or whatever. But if you get too many things going on in a chart, it becomes kind of just difficult to access. And the whole point, I think, with making these sorts of data vids is to 
try to bridge that gap for people between the stats that aren't apparent in their meaning at first and then, you know, creating a visual that helps people get to that understanding. And as soon as you have two, three, four things happening in a single viz, you lose people. And so, um, you know, providing that interactive experience so that people can dig through for themselves and then trying to just stick to your one point per, you know, per viz so that people feel like it's a welcoming place. It's not too much when they're, uh, when they're digging in. Sean, I, I have to tell you that uh, looking over your Tableau stuff, I really enjoy the the, the subtitle sometimes because uh, I, I just you know char, uh, chart by Sean Tierney, five v five adjusted data. But I do like the the one that I most that I looked at recently was the preseason shot rates, and then in the very very straightforward italics, do not pay attention to these results whatsoever. <laughs> so I I appreciate a, a heavy dose of uh, of straightforward um, uh, direction because as a as a social media manager myself, there's been times where I've been had to come up with uh, some scoring graphics and uh, some stat sheet stuff. And 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 after the the most recent home game against uh, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, they won in overtime like 4-3. I I'm glad I was really able to in the shot graphic to remind people that by the way these games don't count. So <laughs> kudos, uh, I, I'm really glad really glad you and I can find common ground in that regard. Um, uh, so in terms of charting out these things, like my 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 first thought was, um, is there any way that when you hover over a good team, we can get like the price is right jingle? And then when it's over a bad team, we can get that. Is there any way we can get that on, on your charts? Just some sound effects. I, I, I mean, I realize I think- that might be a little too much, but. <laughs> no, I mean, that's super untapped territory that's uh, possible here. Now, I'm not sure if Tableau's ready for the kind of brand or ground you're trying to break here, but <laughs> I want you to know I'm in favor for sure. And, I mean, if there's some way I can work it out where, you know, I can just kind of be on call for people as they click on logos and I can provide the sound myself, I mean, I'm happy to do so. Oh, but, man. you know, in, in all seriousness, no, though, um, I think it's interesting that Tableau is meant to be this kind of interactive experience what is that kind of a frontier where you maybe could have some sort of sound incorporation going forward and whether or not it's for, you know, being hilarious with it or just another way to engage people. It it actually is kind of an interesting thought, I think. How could this possibly be the next step? So I'm not there yet. Tableau's not there yet. But, uh, you know, this isn't a place that we can't get to if we put our heads together. (laughs) Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, based on this, the previous, you know, minute and a half of discussion, I'm – already on board with learning how to use this thing and then finding ways to to uh, to incorporate some some other madness in there because i know that by looking at these charts sometimes i mean this is what what's really nice is you know as a as a colorblind person i have to first commend you because most of your stuff is i i can actually uh figure out it's not like anybody making these charts other than yourself is doing this this stuff on purpose you're just using the colors that make the most sense but sadly my eyeballs don't uh, don't like to play the, by the rules. I have rebel eyeballs, you know. They don't fit in. They don't they don't do what's cool, you know, like see color correctly on the spectrum. So, you know, I, I have to commend you for being for like just on a base level already using things that I can immediately tell. But you know, in terms of what's available to you right now, I, I'd like to think that I I like to ask this of all of the charting slash stat people we have on. What's the one thing that's missing? Is there something that's missing right now? What's the one thing you wish you could do, but 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 you're but something's missing. You're either it's like a piece of data or a or a type of um, 
you know, e- either a type of like a, like a director or indirect visual way to tell something like what what's on your bucket list what would what do you think would make your job easier to to push these to the next step but not saying that the stuff isn't already really engaging because again i'm going through the list right now and i'm really excited to go deeper into these things because i'm again i've i love the interactiveness of this tableau stuff so but again your your bucket list your christmas to to saint nick thing what what are you looking for that could be spicier to add some zest so one thing that, uh, again, I, I think it's a really neat question. Uh, one thing that um, isn't great with Tableau right now, which is where I do the majority of the public stuff that I make, um, is that it, it doesn't love data over time. And so I can present um, graphs that show dates as points over time. And I do have sort of team charts over time where you can see the logo moving as the months go by. But it's not actually moving. It's static. and Tableau does have some functionality inside it to animate the the charts that you make, but it doesn't work properly. It doesn't work well when you upload your viz to the public for them to use. And so one thing that I've tinkered with several times and I keep getting hung up on is using play-by-play data and then having a game uh, reenacted or, or replayed through the viz yeah. using the, mm. the data points we're able to get. Yeah. But having the right. user have the ability to click play and see the game in five minutes. Mm. Um, Tableau doesn't love that, and it's it's a shortfall with the kind of data that we have, that there's things that are possible with what we have that I can't quite get there with Tableau yet. So yeah. um, I'm not sure if I want to point my finger 100% at Tableau because uh, it's only as good as the user, and I haven't figured out how to make that happen <laughs> best yet myself. But um, if you're talking bucket list, that's where I'm at, where I want to get to those sort of um, animated... Um, for the user viz that are available on the website without having to go and create a GIF in a secondary program, which is kind of where yeah. I'm stuck right now. So, yeah, that's where I want to get to. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, tight, tight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because I can definitely identify with that from like the stuff I'm trying to do because basically, like, when I started off um, wanting to, you know, incorporate you know, visualizations into my articles. Um, I did start with Tableau and, you know, you know, even just like, you know, the basic Tableau public, uh, you know, free stuff allowed me to do some pretty cool stuff. Um, And then like the last year, um, you know, part of the the stuff I was working on was learning the R programming language. Um, And, you know, they have packages like GG animate and things like that. And, um, you know, so part of it was kind of cool because I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I, you know, how can I make like a, 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 you know, like some type of animated GIF where you could watch a play develop? And unfortunately, like it was like, OK, I have to like hard code all of the player points. Like, you know, I have to like watch it, like manually do it, uh, which was obviously, as you can imagine, very frustrating. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, like, like I think that's that that's something that is going to be really cool once people can figure it out. Um, you know, like if you look at some of the, uh, the posts on Twitter coming out of the, the current analytics conference, I think it's what Nessus is it called? Um, there's a, there's a lot of animation stuff going on. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, what, uh, over the last year I got to work with Michael Lopez from the, from the NFL and I like, like probably like the coolest thing of the last year was when I showed him, 
uh, like an animated play I made using GG Animate, and he was like, "Holy shit! Like that's really cool." And I was like, "Oh my god! Like you think that's cool? Like that's unbelievable." <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Uh, real quick, I wanted to make sure that we got to our uh, uh, one of the listener questions that we got. Um, so, so basically, you know, he he, uh, he or she well, actually, actually, I think I think it's a she. I apologize in advance, but I'm pretty sure I'm right the second time. Um, so the question is, uh, <laughs> well, no, because this is a listener we've had on in the past. Um, oh, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, okay. and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that I'm right the second time. So this is uh, it's it's this question for Sean or anyone, uh, and just so I don't forget, this is from user. J H D S G J. Anyway, everyone keeps talking about RAPM. I've seen it mentioned that Connor McDavid had the worst RAPM for a forward last season, suggesting he's the worst defensive forward in the league. Uh, Sean and I kind of talked about this, you know, ahead of time, and I, I don't know if that's true. Um, but anyway, I get that it's some sort of adjusted plus minus, but every article I've read on it makes the ath- actual methodology very opaque, which I definitely think is true. Uh, can you explain what it means and talk about? Why maybe Connor McD isn't, or sorry, is or isn't as bad as this number suggests? Which I think, I think obviously that last one, I think we can definitely take care of. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and as you alluded to, Peter, we kind of just sort of tapped this uh, a touch off air before we were live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the question is really great from the user. Um, when you look at the RAPM chart for McDavid. Underneath defensive XG, you get a giant uh, red bar, and without even even if you're not versed in this sort of thing, taking a look at that, you can see something's like this is bad, right? This is a warning. Um, and so, when you're looking at these charts, I think um, the easiest way to understand them, or to kind of just sort of break it down into language that we might actually speak, is that you're trying to take a player, isolate them from all the things we can isolate at all and just know what that player's impact is in these different phases of the game. And so it's sort of a version of a, a hyper-wowie in a way, where you sort of take all the line mates away, try to isolate those players' impact in these different realms. So when you're looking at McDavid, you see his offensive goals for uh, is, you know, all the way to the top of the chart. And that's probably not surprising for anybody who watches hockey that McDavid's offensive results last year were excellent. Um, when you're looking at his uh, XG, so the expected goals, the kinds of shot quality he was getting, really good there too. The shot rate, the course he for, just in total, really good. And then you get to the defense, and that's where you start to get these concerns. And so uh, there's maybe two things I would say. One is I'm not, I haven't dug through every single player in the league to say that McDavid is actually the worst. There will be other players that will be in this general um, ballpark of where he is. And so, you know, anytime you're looking at stats like this, it's not super useful to say this is the first, second, third, or whatever ranked player. Rather, it's more like these group of players were clearly good, these group of players were clearly bad. Um, And in this case, McDavid getting clumped in with players who were uh, bad. They were bad at, at defense in terms of expected goals, so the kind of shot quality they were allowing. What becomes tricky there in statistically is, how much of McDavid's situation can you pry away with the data that we have to isolate just his impact? I don't think anyone would want to fight too much with you if you said Edmonton was horrible last year at preventing lots of quality of shots against. And so if you're on a team that stinks at this, if systems are really poor, if you're consistently 
um, playing with the same line mates who really stink at something, it's difficult for a player to somehow get over all of those hurdles and have better stats. And so part of it is, I would say, maybe this is the longest version of saying grain of salt, <laughs> that McDavid's results weren't uh, great, and I don't think that's weird to say. Um, were they league worst? I don't know, maybe, uh, probably not the worst NHL player in terms of this, but it definitely wasn't good. The second thing I would say about this is this is exactly why um, people should be interested in digging into advanced stats because it's easy to look at Connor McDavid, watch an NHL.com ad, go look at the top of the scoring board and see that he was really good, and then you might just leave with the conclusion, if that's as big as you deep, that he's really, really good. Mm. But what this is saying is McDavid's defense looks like it was an issue last year. And instead of um, you know dismissing it because he's a great player, for me, this is really interesting. This makes me think I'd really like to go back and watch a handful of games and take a look at some McDavid shifts and see, is he you know leaving the zone really quick, looking to create offense because he knows his team's going to get scored on all night and he's trying to leak out for breakaways to go score? Is there something going on that this data is, is saying, although your eyes thought they saw this, this was actually going on under the hood last year too? And so, you know, you take it with a bit of a grain of salt that um, this doesn't destroy his value as the league's most exciting offensive player, but you use advanced stats in this way to say there is something up here, and even if he wasn't the worst, he certainly was not useful defensively last year. That's probably true. Why was that? Let's go look deeper and then use that as your jumping point to to do a little deeper digging and understand the game a little more. Yeah, and I mean, you know, listening to you explain that, I think – um, because obviously, uh, you know, this is a, a podcast that covers the entire NHL, but since we are on the whim network, uh, a lot of our listeners are Detroit Red Wings fans. And I think like, like a good analog here is that, you know, pretty much every Detroit fan who watched the team last year would say like, wow, Dylan Larkin had an incredible season last year. You know, he really took a big step forward and he did. Um, but if you start to dig into some of the numbers, you see that he was one of the worst forwards in the league in terms of the penalties he took. Um, and again, then if, you know, like you just said, you know, one of the biggest things in my opinion, and I, I, I'm pretty sure from talking to you that you share this is that, you know, stats are great. Um, but you have to combine it with, you know, like the quote unquote eye test and, and other things, you know, you kind of basically take everything and put it all together, you know? So it's like, Hey, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't rank out really good in this number. And from watching the games, I mean, there's so many games where he took bad penalties. And so it's like, it doesn't mean he's a bad player. It's just like, he really kind of needs to improve that area of his game and he's going to be even better. Um, but real quick, before we let you go, I had to ask one last question. Um, and I, I really try because I don't know if you're I don't know like I don't know if you're a fan of the between two ferns show. And I was trying to think of like a way to phrase this like Zach Galifianakis would ask ask it, but I couldn't think of a good way, so I'm just gonna kind of say it. Um, how did it feel to realize that you were signed by the Ottawa Senators? <laughs> so that was. Um... It was a weird year for me last year um, because a couple of times my charts were used just on on TV and had people reach out and say, you know, can can I use this and I'll shout you out. And so uh, I heard my name, you know, on TV and it, it's a really 
kind of surreal experience and a lot of fun and, you know, really flattering and all that sort of thing. Uh, but then, you know, the other night, as you're alluding to, Bob McKenzie said my name on air accidentally and uh, when he was trying to talk about Chris Tierney. And so I didn't even hear about it until I started getting gifs from Ottawa Senators fans <laughs> saying, you know, great job, Sean, sort of. <laughs> and so I was kind of basking in it uh, for a while and kind of just living the life of a pretend hockey player. The next day, Bob uh, McKenzie tweeted back into it. He called me Chris, yeah. which was kind of funny, I thought, <laughs> you know. And, and so there was, there was this moment in the sun for me where I was really just feeling like, you know, I've really hit my peak in life. I can pretty much shut it down. Uh, and then I think it was either that night or within the next couple of nights, Chris Tierney went out and uh, hit Brock Besser in the back of the head. And, and we still, I'm not even sure if that situation is totally resolved. So um, now being associated with Chris Tierney is about the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. So I felt the highs and lows of my NHL career. I was at the the high end, and now I'm just waiting to be cut by the team. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, think, I, think, I think when um, – I think when – uh, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, um, you tweeted out about uh, like officially, you know, working with the Hamilton Bulldogs or officially taking the position. And I remember, like, I replied, like, "Hey, congratulations, Chris." And I was thinking, like, I hope he gets it because otherwise, he's gonna be like, <laughs> "What a weirdo." <laughs> no, there was uh, there was definitely some Chris name calling going on for a while. And again, it was just it was so flattering for maybe as much as 24 hours, <laughs> and then Chris Tierney went and decided to try to hurt somebody so now it's just uh it's it's a lot of shame on the mm. tyranny name right now but you know it's the kind of thing we've bounced back from in the past and we'll yeah. do so again well i guess it's good that my name is not peter wilson because because maybe the same thing could happen to me um <laughs> exactly exactly yeah yeah uh, by the way just to uh just to, yeah, I, I know jay jay wants it to be evergreen but to kind of date this podcast um i don't remember exactly what but tom wilson did something dumb today so uh well i mean that, that could pretty much be any day uh but uh it's kind of amazing he made it this far in the preseason without doing something dumb, but oh well. So it goes. <laughs> um, well, uh, it's, just as with all good things, uh, our fine interview here with Mr. Tierney uh, has come to an end. Uh, Sean, thanks so much for stopping by our uh, our, our Emmy Award-winning program. Um, it, was, it was so awesome to hear about uh, not only your charting stuff, but Actually, more importantly, the history of hockey cards that you have in your family. It's uh, it's something that I feel that really can uh, be the best icebreaker amongst hockey fans when they try to come up with fun things to, uh, to, to commiserate about. But on the actual serious note, again, folks, please go check out Sean's uh, work. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Once again, the streak that I hope will never be broken of cool handles. He's at charting hockey. That's the word chart. <laughs> And then in the progressive <laughs> verb form, so charting, and then the sport of hockey. So charting, hockey. It's so simple. I love that this is the this is the thing we get to have our claim to fame for. Um, Sean, again, as I like to steal a line, I'll steal a line from my buddy Pete. Once and future guest on for sure. Uh, uh, be be sure to you know get pucks deep and uh, light a bunch of mups for the Sens this year and. And uh, we look forward to everything that you do on, on the Tableau site, sir. Thanks very much, and I promise to keep my stick out of people's backs the rest of the way this year, too. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, we're going to throw a break here as uh, mandated by the, uh, uh, the podcast gods, and we'll be right back uh, with some more fun for sureness.
Once again, thank you to our guest, Mr. Sean Tierney, for his wonderful thoughts. Coming out of this interview, Peter and I wanted to talk about something that is obviously at the forefront of everybody's minds leading into a season, which is, is my favorite player signed? <laughs> so uh, we, in the time that we've been away from the mics, uh, some developments have happened, some recent, some uh, maybe not as recent. So uh, we have uh, confirmed that, yes, indeed, uh, uh, Mitchell Marner, Patrick Laine, and uh, it's Brayden or Brandon Point? Brayden. Right. I yes. Just, yes. Brayden. Brayden is the just the name of the kid that's always invited to the birthday party that throws up, you know. Oh, Brayden. <laughs> All right. I'll call your mom. You know, that's so. So there's that. But uh, yes, uh, those are the notable signings there. There have been some other ones, but Pete and I wanted yeah. to kind of focus on these top ones. So well, uh, because I, you can you can remember it because it rhymes with the famous thespian Jaden Smith. Ah, yes. Yeah. Very That's true. how I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, always, always figuring the right way to do things. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, <laughs> thank you. Um, let's, uh, I, I wanted to lead off uh, with line A because I'm very excited that he signed a two year deal because in two years is when the Red Wings are supposed to be good. So I look forward to him wearing the old, uh, the old winged wheel for Detroit, <laughs> Detroit in two years. But um, he is getting a, 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 I'd like to think a decent chunk of change in these two years. Um, uh, recently, the uh, 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 analyst for the Detroit Red Wings, Mr. Mickey Redmond, was talking about uh, the line A situation with Ken Daniels. And he basically had the, I think the right way to think about this is basically this is the right type of contract for a player who's really trying to prove himself and take the next step. You know, last year was kind of a step back. I'd like to think that Peter and I didn't jinx him by picking him to win the Rocket Richard, but maybe it is all our fault. You never know. But uh, he looks to be on the bounce back, and that's a pretty decent contract to get his, but also demonstrate that he can be a force moving forward. So the Jets are pretty lucky to get, first of all, that number, and then um, the fact that they're also getting a player who wants to uh, further cement himself as a as an elite talent. So, uh, Peter, what are your thoughts on Mr. Line A staying put in Winnipeg for now? I mean, he's the type of player where I completely understand why the from the Jets perspective, they did not want to sign him long term. They they want some more data. They, they want some more information before they commit to that, because the short version with Line A is basically he has if not the best one of like maybe the top two or three best shots in the world, you know, best shot release. Um, yep. He's unbelievably good at that. The problem is that he's not very good at most of the other parts of playing hockey at the NHL level. <laughs> right. So yeah, when, you know, if, if you look at a stat like war uh, or gar, it's just basically the same thing. Um, just war. You know, gar, just, yeah. Gar. You know, if you look at it, <laughs> Um, you know, because that is measuring uh, that is me measuring multiple ways that a player can contribute to the team, not just scoring points. And he does not track very well, uh, especially a five v five, which I mean, that most of the game is played at five on five. Yeah, yeah. Tr yeah, yeah. I can confirm, Peter, that according <laughs> to the rules, five on five is the most uh, consistent uh, form that hockey is uh, played in. Sure. So. So, so the issue is he is giving you 
a lot of value for scoring goals because obviously you win the game by scoring the most goals. But at the same time, he is not helping the team as much as other players who are considered elite do. Um, so the question is going to be number one, you know, can you limit the negative impact that he has on your team and increase the number of goals he scores? Cause in that case he can, you know, he can definitely help out. Um, or, can he become a more complete player? Like, I don't think anybody thinks that he has to be, you know, a, a Selkie award finalist to be able to, to, you know, to, to have value, but, um, or, you know, to live up to his potential, I guess you could say, but he definitely does have to uh, help the team more by scoring and hurt the team less by his other play. Um, now, one, one of the things I think is really interesting is that uh, there's an article in the athletic um, by Murat, uh, where he talks about, uh, I know it's right at the end, um, you know, Paul Maurice, right? And so he says, um, you know, this is a quote. He says, you're going, there's a big old power forward in there. It's there. He's just never had to use it before. He's never had to develop it. And now in this league for us to win, he does. I don't think that's true. Number one, I don't think that line a, at his best is going to be a power forward. I just like, like that's one thing right. I've heard from people that follow the jets is that, you know, some, at least some of this does seem to be on them trying to force him into a role that doesn't fit his skill set. Um, I mean, again, I'm all for, you know, like on the Red Wings, we have, you know, Andreas Athanasiu. And for a while, the, the question was, yes, he can electrify the crowd. He can get, you know, basically make a breakaway out of almost nothing. And he scores a lot on those, but then what is, you know, he's kind of hurting the, not kind of, he is, you know, hurting the team in other areas on, on defense, et cetera. And last year, I think Athanasiu took a huge step forward in, you know, kind of making more of a, a positive impact in other areas rather than just doing one thing. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, obviously, like, like there is, you know, you do want Line A to be able to do more than one thing, but it kind of seems like they're, they're trying to make him into the type of player that I don't think he, they should be doing. I think they should just be trying to accentuate his goal scoring and obviously, you know, work on helping the team in other areas, but I, I just don't get it. I just don't think. I don't like when I look at him, the last type of player I think is power forward. So I don't know. I, that's that's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I, I'm still struggling with the, with the, the cost benefit of, of adding things to a player's arsenal. I, I, yes. Most of the time it is beneficial for a player to add to things, but you know, in some rare cases it's, it stinks to see how, some players' absolute efficiency in one area does take a demonstrable hit when they're forced to do other aspects of the game or or or, or change it up somehow. So I, I I'm always leery about how much we want to impress upon um, uh, incoming players how to you know to either be two way or um, you know complete 200 foot players. Um, you know I I I I don't want the creativity coached out of the game. That's probably why we don't see you know, a lot of, uh, like a, like a Datsuk successor yet, you know, cause people aren't being given that chance to, to expand on stuff, but the game is being played in such a way that maybe you don't have as much 
time or space to actually work on being creative and when when these games count. So, you know, I, I, I'm all I'm all about Line A getting sharper in other areas, but you know, I I'm I, I'm always leery about, you know, well, is he gonna lose that shot, right? Is he gonna lose that that killer instinct to want to be able to let it loose from a certain part of the ice. So, you know, again, I'm very interested to see what his progress is going to be over the next two years. Yeah. And, and the type of player that he is when he joins the Red Wings. So it'll be fun. Going in reverse chronological order uh, prior to Patrick Lanny signing uh, Braden point signed. And that was a, that was a big one because again, it does seem like Tampa has waved their magic wand uh, they've done the Jedi mind trick and they've gotten a player to sign a deal for less than he is worth. Um, so that, that seems to be a common thread for Tampa. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're team friendly deals are uh, honestly, Peter, I don't know when you induct those deals into the hall of fame, yeah. but it has to be soon. Yeah. It has to be soon. Cause wow. Uh. I don't, I like, I don't, I don't, I, again, I, I would love to know what that meet, what those meetings are like, because I mean, my favorite story that I learned recently was when Jimmy Devolano like put like a bunch of duffel bags on a desk when he was talking to Vladimir Konstantinov. I was just like, I'm going to fill these with money. Come play for us. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know that's kind of an abridged, that's kind of an abridged version of what actually happened, but you know, I'm always curious what those things are. And you know, my, my, my fondest, uh, uh, imaginative, moment and kind of came with uh with baseball was when i i always wanted to know how a manager decides how to keep a player up instead of sending him down to the minors and i always just thought it'd be great if it was like the player is told to not come into the locker room until like a certain moment and he walks in a locker room and all the lights are off except one in the middle of the of the room and this is back when jim leland was was managing the tigers he's just sitting there in a wife beater in shorts he's smoking a cigarette and he's just got a pad of paper and a pen with it and he just tells you and says i want you to write down why i should keep you <laughs> and i always thought that'd be the best way to go about it because there were some truly terrible players on the tigers that i didn't that i just didn't want to deal with anymore but in the in the regards for these contract negotiations do they go to dinner is it a is it you know hey uh, like they wait until they get to the top of the tower of terror at Disney world. And then it's like, Hey, uh, do you want to sign this? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the thing drops and then it's like, Oh, congratulations. You signed for, for less than, than, than what you're actually worth. So <laughs> I, 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 as much as I want to know, Pete, maybe I don't need to know maybe whatever you and I come up with in the spirit of improv comedy will, will always be better than what actually happens. But yes, Tampa has a either a, a, a soothsayer or a warlock on contract to 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 get that stuff signed up because we it's clearly not we clearly now we know it wasn't just Iserman. There's something else going on here. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean the the short version is is that is a phenomenal contract. Um, in fact, I. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when uh, you know, I, I went to the RIT sports analytics conference uh, and I, this, this year I presented for the first time and yes, he did. And yes, he did. And the subject of the presentation was on basically contracts and which GMs are best at getting value. And Eiserman was way near the top of the list on ELC and UF uh, ELC and RFA contracts. Um, and, you know, to be fair, Breezebot did not have enough data to make the cutoff because I think I limited to, I think it was 10, 
at least 10 ELC contracts and 15 of the other two. Um, and, you know, in, in a few years, we can take a look and see where Breezebaugh's contracts are going to put him. But um, I think, you know, this is a this is going to be a fantastic deal um, unless something completely unexpected happens. Uh, but speaking of deals that may not be fantastic uh, in the long run, Mr. Mitchell Marner has signed. Yes. So, again, going back. The, yeah. And the hen has come home to roost. And yeah, and he <laughs> he signed for just a tad bit more, just a tad bit more than Braden Point. Um, <laughs> and basically the analysis that I did uh, showed that so far Braden Point has provided more value to his team than Mitch Marner has. Um, and that is taking into account teammates and competition and all that stuff. Um, so I think that's that's pretty interesting because basically the Maple Leafs are paying, what, about $4 million more a year. Uh, for Mitch Marner than the Tampa Bay Lightning are playing for Braden Point. Um, let me just double check to make sure I'm right. Oh, 6.75. Yeah, yeah. 6.75 and then 10.8. Yeah, so it's actually more than $4 million. More than $4 million oh, more yes. a year. Uh, and they signed up. Now, they signed up for six years. And if the, if the cap continues to rise, then that could be a deal that gets better as it goes. Um, you know, because each year $10 million can buy you more. Or actually, to be honest, it's almost 11. It's going to be interesting in Toronto because uh, you have Tavares with $11 million cap hit. You have Matthews with $11.6 million, And now you have Marner with 10.8 or 10.9 if you round. So yep. that's, uh, you know, over $30 million committed to three players. Now, granted, they're all really good players. Um, you know, it's a lot better than if you're committing that money to a player that's not going to give you a lot of, you know, help your team a lot. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the things when I was doing this analysis that I, I kept thinking, which I, I know is not a, a unique thought. I know other people have talked about this is like in the salary cap era, it's really, really hard to put a team together with three or more elite players at a time and keep it together. Yep. Yep. It just, it's really hard. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, now that we're, gosh, Peter, how, how long has the salary cap era been? So what's since 05? Yeah. 05, 06 was the first year. Yeah. So let's, let's just say 14 years. Let's, let's, we'll just keep it at that. After 14 years of stuff, uh, I don't know if it's, Okay, yes, this is probably coming from a biased place because it would be nice to assemble a 2002 Red Wings team again. But just thinking about how, you know, like, I feel like if you're able to home grow an elite core of players, I don't know, I I guess it just feels like kind of lame to have that forcibly taken away from you because of the way the system's set up, you know? Like, like if you're, like, like, signing... Guys, like, yes, okay, I get it, you know. But if you're, but if you like, you know, like where we are right now with Larkin, Mantha, Athanasiu, Valeno now, Zadina, like, we've got the makings to have some pretty effing stud players. And I'm already dreading the fact that we might have to let one of them go because we're not going to be able to keep all of them. And I just, I feel like that, I don't know, maybe if the thing that I'm trying to advocate for here is that if these are players that you draft and you sign up, then, you know, like there's like a there's like a like a home team secondary like cap 
bracket that like some of their stuff can go into where it's like they can get paid the max, but you can put some like all of it doesn't count towards your cap because you home grew that talent. So like the payer still gets played, but as a team, you're not on the hook to, to have to, I don't, I don't no, know. I there's, think, there's some obnoxious yeah. number, num, number crunching that I could try and come up with something that remotely makes sense. But basically I'm just getting at you, you have the ability to put these teams together, but then the finite, window in which you're able to actually keep those teams together. It's kind of disappointing because I'd like to see these teams kind of go through. I mean, we kind of saw what happened with, with Chicago in 2010, you know, Dale Talon pretty much just did, you know, amassed the, the, the gigantic force that was that 2010 team knowing full well that the next year you couldn't keep, <laughs> you couldn't keep all of them. So it was win now or forever be, uh, be, be silent. So, you know, the second they won the cup, Lad gone, Bufflin gone, you know, like there's, and then there's like a couple other guys that, that were gone too. It was pretty much, listen, we have to keep Taves and Kane and everyone else is like kind of interchangeable. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you know, I'm, you know, I mean, you know, kind of, you know, look at what Pittsburgh done, you know, they, they Crosby and Malkin are the, yeah. the, the, the standards, um, obviously Latang, Right. But um, I mean, other yeah. than that, it's like a rotating cast. It's like, you know, Kessel comes, but then he leaves, um, you know, you have yep. players come and, and go and uh, I, I mean, it kind of seems like, you know, I think with Pittsburgh, I mean, I, I think, you know, Crosby and Malkin obviously are, are very, you know, top tier. Um, I don't know if like, I wouldn't yeah. put, I, I don't think like, I think Latang has been very good for, for the majority of the time he's been there. I think he's kind of, I, I know one year he was like hurt for most of the year or he was hurt. Um, and that, I know that hurt his performance, right. but um like I don't think I would put him in the same tier as Crosby or Malkin, but he's he's obviously for a lot of a lot of his time there, he was a very big part of their team. Um, oh, you yeah. know, and then, but you know, he wasn't getting paid as much as Crosby and Malkin, and I, I, obviously, like Crosby and Malkin's deal ends up being cheap, you know, compared to uh, to teams now yeah. because they because yeah. they signed before the uh, the eight year time limit. Um, and I also think it's yep. going to be interesting to see if uh, in the new, the next CBA, if the maximum contract length goes down again to like five years, um, it's going to be interesting to see. Cause it seems like obviously, you know, Matthews did not take a full eight year deal. Um, I, I have a, I have a feeling, I mean, I'm not a mind reader, but I have a feeling that Connor McDavid kind of wishes he could uh, go back in time and not take an eight year deal in Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah, I, I again the the amount of I would like I guess I'm curious how we would get maybe a player perspective on this stuff because you know wh- whatever they're able to make you know are these you know there's is it entirely money or is it entirely locate or is it a, a chunk of location too because like you said you know like here. You know, McDavid was going to make, I think, going to be able to make that money anywhere. But, you know, because it's Edmonton and Edmonton had to do all they could to hang on to him, right? You know, hey, hey, you know, we tanked all those years. We should be able to keep this guy. Da, da, da. So, you know, he. That's that's such a bonkers situation in the first place, too, because like. Whatever, whatever Edmonton is trying to do, it's yeah. not working. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. happening. So I'm I'm of the mind that you know there should be 
I don't know. I, I'm not against the, the, the max contract length going down. I think I, I feel like five years is a really solid middle ground between. You know, I feel like the eight year thing, I feel like the eight year contract only helps you if you are, you know, like like a nineteen or a twenty year old. If you're signing eight year contracts when you're, you know, twenty three and twenty four, you know, that's that I that's I think that's a bit much. So I'm 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 curious as to where at the end of the day the McDavid contract is gonna look when all is said and done. So should be exciting time. Yeah, it's gonna be us, it's Pete. gonna be interesting. <laughs> and um like we said before, next uh next episode we are going to do our season preview. So uh if you are wondering uh what our picks are for who's gonna win you know, the divisions and the, the playoffs and everything um, and how wrong we're going to be. You can, uh, you know, you can look forward to that for next episode. Um, so before, uh, before we close out, we had one last thing to talk about. Uh, so earlier this week, well, as you listened to it earlier last week, um, there was a news report that came out about Austin Matthews uh, basically having to go to court or I, I think, I think there was a, there was a thing where they postponed the trial or not not the trial, but the court appearance. And uh, I think from what I read, it's something where he doesn't have to, like, you know, typically a defendant doesn't actually go to that. Um, but basically there was a, there was an incident uh, in, I believe August, right. Is when it happened. Yeah. That nobody. Well, um, uh, yeah. That basically yeah. nobody knew about. I, uh yeah until recently um and yeah basically the short version is that him and either either two other people or three other people there's a group of people um and they were intoxicated uh according to the report they were very intoxicated and they tried to get into the car of a security guard who um a female security guard who was in the car um with the doors locked and they tried to get in. And then when she got out and confronted him, they tried to play it off as a joke. Um, suppose, you know, allegedly Austin Matthews dropped his pants and mooned her uh, with his boxers on or his, his underwear still on. Um, but the, the thing that was very disappointing is that a lot of the coverage of this seemed to focus much more on the second part and not the first part which is the really awful part. Yeah. Um, not, not to say that, you know, the second part is something that, you know, is, is completely fine. Of course it's not, but the first part is the bad part. Like the first part the first part's a really bad part. You know, they were, they like, and, and, and yes, they're trying to say, Oh, this is, this is just a joke, but like, it's not funny at all. And it's terrifying and it's super yeah. messed up, you know? Um, so, the coverage of it was was disappointing, n- not in every regard. There were definitely some people that, you know, not surprisingly, former and, and future for sure guest Katie Strang had a had a great article about it, um, you know, that that talked about all the different angles and, and such. But there's a lot of people that, um, you know, were were almost rushing to kind of make this go away, you know, like, oh, it's not a big deal. And that was that was very disappointing, yeah. to say the least. Yeah, yeah. The in in as uh, much of an attempt to to be crystal clear on this, um, this is a hockey culture problem. It is a male privilege problem. You know, the the 
the part that was dis- described by the uh, by the security guard where she said, "Listen, there's there's like three or four of you and only one of me. How is that supposed to be funny? Like what? <laughs> Again, just like it, it, it's it's mind boggling to always be shown these situations and just how unabashedly confident these privileged guys are in you know oh yeah you're we'll we'll, ooh, we'll just see what happens you know that's a frightening scenario why is this something you just want to see what happens so it's it it, it clearly shows that there's a an ignorance of viewpoints and in, in the uh, uh interviews with him following the incident you know it was really even more disgusting to have him think oh i'm i'm sorry that this is a distraction to the team where you know real real talk it should have been i'm really sorry for being an actual ass to a security guard and this is not something that you know this is not the example i want to set but that's not what was said he was just treating it like oh i'm sorry you know this this you know this is bad for the team and and of course because the majority of hockey media are white males they just you know they oh they feel sorry for them and that you know oh just uh, whoopsies you know won't happen again and that's wrong. And I, you know, for for more in depth opinions on this type of stuff, you know, I was really just deferring to the stuff that you know Jasmina Shaw was was saying, what Katie Strang was reporting. End of the day, this really needed to be different in in terms of how it was disseminated and how it was uh, portrayed in the media, and it's just disappointing. And uh, you know, I, I I'd like to think that I speak for Pete when I say this. Anybody who's young and listening and wants to play hockey, that is not the example you set. That is not the method you take to try and condone or own up to your behavior. It's it, this is you're you're not there to to lord uh, your 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 male privilege over anybody anywhere anytime ever. And this is not something you're supposed to be proud of. It's not something you're supposed to be excited or you know. Uh, even remotely happy to be looking forward to. Oh, when I come a player, when I become a player, I get to play by a new set of rules. No, <laughs> no, negative. Ixnay on the yeah, being at Earth and, J. So yeah, and, and I mean, like one yeah. thing that was really annoying was you know when you tried to point out that hey, this you know this this behavior is wrong and this behavior is messed up and it's more than just like oh you know sometimes when people get drunk they do dumb things. It's like well sure, but this is more than that. And the, the really annoying thing was, you know, when people then try to put words in your mouth and they're like, Oh, so you're saying it should ruin his life. Like, no, nobody's saying that, you know, nobody's saying he should, he should, his contract yep. should be voided. Like nobody's saying that, but they're just saying like, it would be good if, yeah. since obviously, I mean, he did something wrong. You can't fix it. You know, it's in the past. You can't change what you did, but he could set a good example moving forward. You know, he could admit and own up to what he did and, and not try to minimize it and basically just say, like, you know, I did something really stupid. You know, even if it was like, you know, at the time I didn't realize, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about it. But now that I think about it and now that I've talked to people about it, I realized that what I did was incredibly wrong and, you know, terrifying for this person, um, you know, and then act, you know, kind of you know, act as a role model and raise awareness to, Hey, this is something that is not okay. You know, this isn't something that should be happening. Um, so, you know, those of us who were basically upset at the coverage of this and pointing out that it was, it was not very not, you know, it's not covered very well. 
in, in a lot of cases, not, you know, like I said, not a hundred percent, but um, you know, basically we're just saying that, you know, this should be, you know, you, you know, you can't change what happens. So use it as like a teachable moment to basically say, look, this is wrong. Here's why it's wrong. And let's be better. And here's what you can do instead. Um, and, and that's doesn't seem to be what's happening yet. So, I mean, things can change. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, obviously, you know, it would have been good if he had done that from the start, but there's still time for him to, to make that point. You know, there's still time for him to do that. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that brings us to the end of our episode. And before we do, before I, I run through the, uh, the, the, the little standard wrap up thing. Um, I did want to say really quickly, uh, last episode when we recorded, I asked people to keep my dog Bowie in their thoughts and prayers or whatever they do. And, uh, so I'm really happy to be able to, to tell people that, that don't know already that she had the surgery. It went really well. And yesterday, last night we got the pathology report and basically the tumor that they removed was cancerous, which we pretty much already knew, but they got all of it. Um, and the type of cancer that it is, is very unlikely to return. Um, so basically, you know, they don't have to do any type of chemo or radiation. It's just basically remove it. And that should, you know, in, in the vast majority of cases will solve the problem. So that's obviously fantastic news. Um, so thank you to everybody who, who, who helped out with that, who, uh, you know, passed along messages of support, etc. cetera. Uh, it was definitely appreciated. Hell yeah, Bowie. You can follow us. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us uh, on Twitter. I am P- at P Flynn Hockey. Jay is at the roar underscore 24. Um, our podcast is at 200 foot pod 200 FTPOD. Sean Tierney, our guest is at charting hockey, charting like a chart and then hockey with an ING in between. I'm pretty sure that's how he <laughs> explains it to everyone. Uh, <laughs> you can also come find us on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page for the podcast, um, and it is facebook.com slash for sure pod, F-E-R-S-U-R-E-P-O-D. And if you want to buy merchandise, you can go to our store, um, which is tinyurl.com slash for shirt, F-E-R-S-H-I-R-T. So our plan is to be back. Uh, you know, we we uh, we basically had to take some time off due to, due to issues and scheduling stuff. Um, but the plan is that we are going to be back starting now on our two week, our normal two week schedule. So every two weeks, you'll get a new episode from us. Um, so we already have some really good guests uh, that are, you know, they, they said they would do it. Uh, but, you know, obviously, sometimes it's hard to get uh, the schedules to work out. So uh, we don't want to announce anybody until we know for sure that, that they will be on the show. Uh, so you can look forward to some nice some... name drop right there, by the way. Yeah, I did that on purpose. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Accidentally on purpose. Uh... <laughs> Got to promote yourselves. That's what yeah. It's all about. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies, tell anybody to listen to the show. <laughs> See you soon. For sure. See you. For sure. 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 For sure.